This is the JWN Podcast. Madison White is the general manager at one of Charleston's newest restaurants, Tempest, which opened in August of 2020 during the pandemic and was named as the best new restaurant in the country by USA Today's readers. Now you may be asking yourself what a restaurant manager has to offer a podcast focused on creativity. Well, besides the fact that so many creatives have made ends meet by working in the food and beverage industry at some point in their career, Madison's life story is one that is fueled by creative endeavors, including opening a successful music school and studio with her husband right here in Charleston. From fashion to acting, writing, and even stand-up comedy, she's built upon her life experiences with a creative spirit in mind, and I'm excited to share this conversation with you. So let's get to know my guest, Madison White. I did a podcast not too long ago, and we got like five minutes in, six minutes in, and she was like, I can record. No! <laughs> oh. It's like I mean, a It just nightmare. threw me off. I'm like, where do I pick up? I already said so much stuff. And yeah, and all, it all of awkward. The, <laughs> all of the, the excitement and energy is gone. Yeah. You're like, oh, I got to redo this. <laughs> exactly. Do, am I telling the story the same way? Exactly. All right. So we are rolling. So we're recording. Welcome to the podcast. Thank There's you. Not, there's not much more I have to tell you. I, uh, it's I've been getting to the point where I just hit record and people are like, are we recording this right now? But I feel like that's the most genuine way. It's conversational. It's not like, oh, these are the questions I'm going to ask and this is what you have to answer. Well, especially with, with somebody you meet for the first time. Because right. then you start like making small talk, which leads into other topics. And you're like, well, this could be on the podcast. Maybe we should re- be recording this. Right. So, uh, Madison, I... I, I didn't. I don't know anything about you except for what I could find on the internet, which is probably not much. But what I did fa- find was extremely interesting. Um, you come to us today. Uh, you've, you you you're part of something extremely interesting to me. Uh, well, a few things extremely interesting to me. Uh, the number the number one thing uh, that's recent, I should say, not number one, but number one as far as like the most recent thing is mm-hmm. you're part of. You're part of a restaurant that opened up in 2020, which is crazy. Yes. And, and not just like, <laughs> oh, we opened up in March and we had bad timing. No, you guys opened in like August. August, yeah. And we were in the thick of it. <laughs> and it so this is a place called Tempest. It's in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they quickly got named one of the best uh, restaurants to open. Best new restaurant in the country. Best new restaurant in the country yeah. for, from like USA Today or something like that. Mm-hmm. But But what's interesting is like, I am so floored that people thought like, you know what, we're just going to go through with this. I think there, there wasn't a choice. <laughs> You're already yeah. that involved. I mean, we started 14 months before right. just on construction and build out and all of that stuff. So if things got pushed, our timeline got moved back a little bit, but eventually it, it just gets to a point where like, well, it's now or never and and we're going to do it. And yeah. honestly, the the Charleston community was extremely supportive. I mean, people are on the side of restaurants right now. You know, they're kind of the underdog. So it's definitely one of the things that through this whole pandemic, people have to eat. Right. Um, I know personally, I've had up until recent, I'm starting to just kind of, I don't know how you feel about the whole pandemic, but I'm starting to get to the point where I'm just like, uh, I'm, overwhelmed yeah by the anxiety and the despair of the thing and then at the same time like certain things have happened personally in my life mm-hmm. um where some of the 
problems that you you fear for have kind of come and gone. Right. And so you're no longer as fearful, mm-hmm. which is not a Well, as fair... we get more information, right. as more information came out, I think the very beginning when everybody didn't know much about this or, you know, it was the height of fear. Yeah. Um, I, it's so interesting to me because I, you know, moved here from L.A. and I have family in New York and those are cities that are that are have really tight restrictions mm-hmm. still to this day. I, I talk to my friends out there and they are living a different life than I am. Yeah. I feel like I'm in this bubble. And to be honest, it's been such a crazy year for me that I've just been so busy. Not that I don't know it exists, but mm-hmm. I almost didn't have time to, which is probably a good thing. I didn't have time to focus on the politics and the craziness of the world. And I didn't really have time to, you know, the pandemic. It was just, we worked all the way through it. So it was kind of a distraction. But it is so interesting to me that the kind of Charleston bubble that we live in. Even I was up in Charlotte. We just reopened uh, Five Church Charlotte. Wow. Just this last week. They were closed for 10 months. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing to me that the the the, the ability of, of people to be resilient through this. It takes a lot. I think we have really good ownership at the top that had extremely well thought out strategy throughout the entire process. And I think that us being a restaurant group, we kind of mm-hmm. had, um, y- you know, we had a, a stock. You had you some know, capital to saved up to, to make this work. To make it work. And it and, wasn't easy. I mean, there was definitely decisions that had to be made that I know were very difficult decisions to be made. Yeah. And, um, you know, pivoting, a constant pivoting. Right. And, and opening one restaurant, closing another because this one can't Figuring be solved. the outdoor seating. Exactly, and, and, and that whole thing, especially in a place like downtown Charleston, your your sidewalk space, your outdoor space is so limited. Yeah, you know, so that yeah. you would see some places that over the summer they're trying to get everybody outdoors, and it's like, and I'm sitting there going, why don't we just do second Sundays type uh, close down King Street to traffic and just put all the restaurants out on the ding? Street? I was on a committee for a little bit. It was a, a sort of oversight committee. And we, we talked about things like that because it, it got to a point where it's like, you're making it impossible for us to survive. But and I, without federal help and, and everything was yeah. so chaotic. I, I mean, yeah, there it was, was, it no, was tough at first. no plan. It was I mean, so it tough still at first. is even now. Yeah. There's not one voice coming down being like, this is how you do it. These are the, you know, every state has different right. restrictions. Well, and, we yeah. had a congressman that I have in, I've been here in Charleston for 15 years. Mm-hmm. This year was the first time I, I don't know how Joe Cunningham got my business email address, but all of a sudden I started getting emails. This is what we're doing. This is what you need to do. This is where we are right now. Here's here, here are links to everything you need to know from the small business administration on how to get your loans mm-hmm. and what you need to do and how to qualify. And here's, and I was like, oh my gosh. This is the first time the government's ever like provided the service without me even having to search for it or seek it right. out. Um, of course, we stumbled out of the gate right. with everything, <laughs> you know, trying to get anything done was everyone tried piled on at once and mm-hmm. tried to get things done, tried to get up, you know, applying for federal aid and, and whatnot. Eventually, it kind of worked itself out in some uh, some aspects, but like unemployment stuff. 
mm-hmm. was a nightmare. Unemployment was a nightmare. Even the PPP, I will say, my husband and I own a music school and yes. kind of. That's, that's by the way, that's the other thing I got excited <laughs> when, I, when I was researching you. Like, oh my goodness, they were perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when we were applying for the PPP, I mean, we're small business owners. We have yeah. one location. I mean, talk about mom and pop. We are the epitome of it. Mm-hmm. We built the walls with our own hands. We took out very little um, loans and loans like and everything yeah. to get off the ground. And to get the PPP loan, we couldn't get our, our bank was telling us since we didn't have loans with them, we couldn't get it. If you didn't have a credit card if with them. Have, I mean, it was wild. It was wild. And I'm like, <laughs> we are probably the people that need it so much more right. than the people that are getting it. And I'm hearing millions and millions of dollars are being given to these huge companies. And I'm like, I can't even get someone on the phone to tell yeah. me where I can apply. I remember one day I had my husband and I, between the two of us, we called like, we called four different banks. We called a, a, like a business lawyer. We called like accountants, everyone we can possibly get mm-hmm. in touch with. And there was just, there was no resources. Nobody they knew. Were, one person would say, well, you have to go this direction. Then we would call that direction. And they would say, no, you don't qualify with us. You have to go. And it was just. Yep. There was a, there was a couple of weeks where it was so frustrating and, and just so much red tape to get through, but eventually it did yeah. start to, you st- it, things itself. started to, to figure it out. But even now in loan, I, know, I don't, I know you're going through loan forgiveness now. <laughs> sorry, sorry people. <laughs> if you're in a creative community, by the way, and you didn't take advantage of this, you should have. Yeah. And you probably still can. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should look into wherever you are in the United States, look into what resources are avail- available to you because you you can get money that will be forgiven. So right. you can basically get free money to help you get through this as a business and as a gig worker, as someone who's in the creative community, uh, as Madison just said, her and her husband run this music school. They, I'm sure without the money, eventually it would have been an extremely dark year for you. No would we, I will say we were, um, we were talking about the fear earlier. Yeah. So when all this happened and all this went down, it was, we closed just before the the public schools made the mm-hmm. announcement that they were closing. And it was the height of our fear and we couldn't get people on the phone and it was, you know, just kind of wild, but we did pivot to online lessons. Yeah. So we have a music school recording studio for kids. Right. And, um, we pivoted to virtual lessons, which at the time kids are locked in the house had nothing they to do. Had nothing yeah. to do. Parents wanted them to still be kind of educated and entertained mm-hmm. and all of those things. So once we got past the fear and got past the worry and all that stuff and we pivoted, we actually did rather well yeah. um, through the pandemic. And we we catered, you know, certain classes and Zoom classes and we even did band classes, band mm-hmm. classes on Zoom, which was wild. But the 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 thing that's that's difficult with opening a brand new restaurant that that you were you're a part of, um, in all of this, all of this that we just described, and I'm sure some people listening right now are probably getting tinges of that anxiety mm-hmm. creeping back up on them again. Um, but restaurants, while they can do takeout, I mean, you're in a destination city. Yeah. Uh, be- from what I can see from the pictures online, like you've like stained glass ceilings right. and just this beautiful location, beautiful building, beautiful decoration going on inside. So it's an experience. It's more it than is. just takeout. And and to to launch in the middle of all of this, mm-hmm. and then the other thing that I read is that the whole front of house it's an all female front of house, which is exciting as yeah. well. Yeah, was that by design or it, just by chance? It was just by chance. Um, our company in general, really, mostly, I think almost every management position is promoted from within. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it definitely wasn't by design that we had an all-female management team. But the best players for the job were put into place. I mean, yeah. I think each one of us brings something to the table that, that you know, we need in that position, right. in that role. Um, and we work really well together. I think girls can sometimes, women, um, can be catty and, and uh, you know, can kind of step on each other. And it's not that at all. We're so supportive. We all, we're all in the position and kind of learning and growing mm -hmm. together. You're all so, kind of born in the fire with this project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So and we've oh, been, sorry. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> we've been on the project kind of from the beginning. Like we yeah. saw every stage of it and we took the place down to studs. So wow. it was, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, the, I, I can't imagine the, 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 the amount of um, fear and on every level for you guys being involved from the beginning and watching how, like w what's going on in the world. The uncertainty. I mean, went, I mean downtown Charleston, I, think with your location during the um the black lives matter marches and things like that where we mm -hmm. saw a lot of restaurants and storefronts uh, mostly on king street king, i believe yeah. um that that took a lot of damage in the middle of a pandemic right and and so it's like all of this for for so many reasons right. uh of things going on in this this in 2020 if you had and told me you this was going to be the last year of my life, you know, before this all started, I would have been. When, like, you guys got, when you guys got named best new restaurant in the country. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the whiplash yeah. <laughs> of all that stress and anxiety. It's like, oh, wait a second. Here's you know some good news. You know what's crazy, though, is, is we knew it. We believed it. You know, like every mm. single person working there truly believes it, yeah. you know, like, and we all are a part of it. And we poured so much of ourselves into it. The back of house team is, um, they're so young and motivated and inspired. And every day, I mean, the hours that they put in and the product that they still are able to yeah. put out is just, that's inspiring for me, watching the people around me be so, you know, bought in. And so when we did get the award, it was, um, it was something that, you know, we're, we're putting out this product and we have this amazing service staff and we have this beautiful restaurant and it's opening in a pandemic yeah. and we can't share it with as many people as we like, but you know, the award came out and then that kind of catapulted us. Onto right. The now track people that, are interested. Yeah. And, and I, it's pretty interesting to think of from a creative standpoint, many musicians, painters, uh, dancers, theater people, their their money gig is is food and beverage. And that's how I got into it. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit about how you got into it. Let's 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 get into to to the weeds here and figure out. You grew up? Did you grow up in L.A. or did you just? No, you, you went, I grew up in Long Island, New York. And what then part? <laughs> East Islip. Wilston Park, right here. Get out! Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> Very but, nice. All right. Hold on. We're gonna sp start speaking some Long Island. Long Island. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. I still the word off still gets me every time it, it hurts my jaw to say it the way like off <laughs> oh my my wife will pick up every little word that that still hangs on like like the word drawer mm -hmm. I can't say it I say draw <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. there's drawer. certain ones that are that that I'll catch myself every once in a while like hey. um but yeah so I, I grew up in Long Island I moved to um Brooklyn when I was 17. 
I started high school early. My parents had retired and they moved to Arizona. And I was like, this is... How did you lose all of that accent? <laughs> I had a dialect East, coach. <laughs> I was going to say East Islip. For those of you who don't know Long Island, East Islip is like You're heavily <laughs> like think... Joey Botafuco, Amy Fisher, <laughs> yes. you're like, yeah, that's yes. that level of Long Island. And then you go to Brooklyn, which has, and we're not talking about hipster Brooklyn. We're talking about mm-hmm. like Brooklyn before it became right. a hot spot mm-hmm. when the the accent was super thick. Yes. You had a, a dialect coach. I did. I used to actually, Amazing. I had a dialect coach and I had, I used to put the words that I really struggled with on my mirror and on my refrigerator and on a carton of milk or whatever it was. And anytime I went to reach for that thing, I'd have to say it 10 times. <laughs> that was I kind of broke myself. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 I, 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 wow. <laughs> wow. Because uh, that's a lot of um, dedication to get rid of. Because it's I such a distinct I had a dialect coach for like a good couple of years. It was. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're in Long Island. So I'm in Long Island. Go to Brooklyn. I started at um, FIT. And... I started working at Armani Exchange on Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. and the flagship, flagship, flagship store. Um, and it just wasn't my cup of tea at all. Right. It wasn't. I was kind of doing some modeling at the time and I fell into an acting gig and I was like, oh, I got the bug. Yeah, <laughs> this, know, this like, is fun. I, this is really fun. This is what I want to do. So I spent a little more time in New York. Um, I had a crazy incident with a taxi cab driver. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of over the city, a young girl living in the mm-hmm. city in Brooklyn by herself. And I just didn't feel safe. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta go somewhere. I gotta do something. So I went out to LA. Um, and the whole time I'd always supported myself working in restaurants. So right. even when I was in college, I was working in bars and restaurants. Um, I what started. Was, what was that cultural shift like for you when you go from New York, East coast to LA is, is so different. Oh, I loved it. You loved it. I loved it. I mean, I love New York, Uh but I also love L.A. I mean, I think I take the best because I'm not in the cities anymore, but I take the best qualities of the cities Mm -hmm. and like they're they're such a part of me. It was a it was a big shift to me. It was um, just a lot of it was being outside and being able to kind of always have that that weather that you're at the beach and you're surfing and you have all this time for hiking and anything you want to, you know, that was a big kind of mind change for me. Yeah. New York is, um, there's a, it's a long winter. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, and it, by the time it's done, you're so ready uh-huh. to move on to, mm-hmm. to warmer weather. But also the seasons there, I love the seasons in yeah. New York. Um, so the shift for me, I think the biggest thing about it was, um, I felt like, and I, and I say this with like pockets of LA, mm-hmm. I lived, you name it. I lived there from the Valley to West Hollywood, to Burbank, Santa Monica, you know, anywhere. Um, but I found really genuine people in a different way that people are genuine in New York. It's a tougher, it's like a, you got to kind of crack through it in New York. And the people in LA, I just thought were really welcoming. <laughs> I don't know. Most people don't have that experience or don't talk right. about that in LA. And I did, especially the acting community. I felt like it, it truly is a community, you know, and everyone's in it with the same passion and the same inspiration and the same objective. And did you um, did you find that the people in that acting community that you were were all people transplanting from other oh, places? Yeah, yeah that might be part of the. That's true. The, Some the, of my best friends are like Midwest people. That, yeah, that transplanted L.A. Um, but yeah, so then I was out there and working in restaurants again, and I would get mm-hmm. little gigs here and there, and then I would not work for you know three to six months and just kind of travel. I, I was always like a big travel person wherever I can yeah. go as often as I could do it. 
Um, and then what happened next? LA. Oh, um, so I had this crazy wild idea. I was, mm-hmm. um, I was doing stand-up for a little while. Which- wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I did not find anything on you about stand-up. This is I wasn't awesome. very good, and I'm not very funny. But um, so I, when I go all in on something, I like, I'm all in. And right. for acting, for me, it was like, I just never could reach. I was getting bit parts here and there. I could never reach the next level. And I was like, you know, fuck this. Like, excuse my language. But no. screw this. I'm going to, um, I just, I'm going to make it happen for myself. That's yeah. my only chance. So for about a year, I would go up five nights a week. Five. Oh, oh so you were in, you were like uh, serious. You t- were all when in? I say I'm in it, I'm like, wow. I'm in. Um, I used to just go up and I would put my phone to record the entire session. I would go up completely unscripted and I would just talk for five minutes at an open mic. Mm-hmm. And if I got one laugh out of somebody at one point, I would take that and try and write something around it. Build so by the end that. of a year of doing this, like really soul crushing career choice that I, <laughs> that I was going down after, after that year, I, uh, I had about a 10 minute solid set. And then I was like, well, this isn't going to happen either. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. <laughs> it was tough. Um, I, I don't know if most people understand how hard it is to come up with that first oh my gosh. 5, 10, 15 minute set. Right. Like how much work it takes to get to that point where you have a solid tight set. Also, I hung out with so many comedians that are just like their comedic timing was impeccable. And I mean, they could tell me a story about the Wheaties that they have for breakfast and I'm on the floor rolling, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I just didn't have that. <laughs> so my problem is that a lot of times I go in on things that I'm, I'm all in, but yeah. I'm, I'm not actually very good at it. <laughs> well, there, there are the people in like, when you grew up, you had some people that could naturally have the ability to tell a story, to, to capture everyone's attention. Right. Those people, you you would be like, why aren't you taking advantage of that? Yes. Like, yes. You could you could either be like really good at stand up or uh, something where you're kind of the center of attention, yeah. or a really good salesperson, and right. you find, and then they go on to become like an engineer, and you're like, what? how did this happen? Yes. Yeah. My ambition always like gets me to a certain level, but then I'm like, my talent doesn't quite equal the ambition in something. <laughs> Why well, you might be selling yourself short there though. Well, I think, I think now I've found my niche in, in restaurants yeah. in what I'm doing right now. I really do. It took a, a lot of kind of meandering to get there, but. I but I imagine that the self-confidence that you must've built up from getting up on stage five nights a week. Oh, see, it was the opposite. You think you don't. Yeah. I drank a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, Jameson. In those days, you forgot all of it. Um, no, but but uh, but that's uh, uh, there's something about now. I've never done stand up, so I don't know this firsthand. But I used to be a musician, mm-hmm. and and uh, in a similar fashion, when you have a bad set, when things go bad, it's it's soul crushing. Yeah. But the more that happens. Less soul crushing it is. The more that dead inside you maybe become. I don't know what it is. That is true, so true. But also when it works, that's like yes. the drug. When it works, it works so well. When it and, works, it doesn't get old. Right. And you could do the same set in a different room and get a completely different response. Yeah. Or you just go on after someone, you know, that that killed the room for you. And then you're you're getting up there to a dead room and there's no coming back. You yeah, know, like the energy has been it's so crazy. And I I think that's why I ended up in restaurants because I, I genuinely love people mm-hmm. and interacting and connection and all of that kind of stuff, which kind of leads me to my next place I went with that. So after after stand-up, yeah. I um, got this wild hair. I was watching um, 
back-to-back movies by myself. I used to go to the movies mm-hmm. all the time by myself. And in between the two movies, I was sitting in a coffee shop and I just got this journal and I just started doodling and was like, I could write a book. You know, my, lo- my life story is pretty interesting and whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I started scribbling in this book and I ended up skipping the second movie, got a couple more drinks in me and just wrote pen to paper, didn't stop writing, wrote my life story. Wow. Um, and on the inside front cover, I, I don't know where all these ideas came from when I was doing this. On the inside front cover, I wrote my name, my address, my home phone number. And I wrote, I'm nobody famous. I'm not that important, but this is my story. And you're the next chapter. And so I left it and just wanted to see what, what? would happen. So wait, you left it in like an apartment or No, no, I left it at the coffee shop. At the coffee shop. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I was like, wait, where? <laughs> I just left it to see like, okay. Yeah, if anyone um, would ever pick up on exactly. it and, and, and uh, do anything with it. Exactly. Well, then I kind of expanded that idea um, and I did it 50 times. So I copied my life story 50 times in journals. And I saved Did up. Did you handwrite these? I handwrote everyone. I had like what? An, I had an indentation on my finger from handwriting all of them. And I copied the same exact thing from when I decided to do it, whatever I put in that one. Um, and it was the most honest, unedited, raw. I mean, there was all different kinds of stories. My brother struggled with addiction a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about, you know, the impact that had on me. And I was really just honest about it. Um, I wrote about an ex-boyfriend that I had that had told me he loved me and I never said it back. And I was like, you know what? I did. And I owe it to him. So here's his phone number. Call him and let him know that I did love him at that time. <laughs> so these were the kinds of stories. And it was really, um, it was really just honest. Um, wow. And so I saved up, I think it was $2,000, might've been 3000 And I decided I'm going to go on a Greyhound bus and I'm going to put these as far as $3,000 will take me across the country. Just just leave them in bookstores. Wow. (laughs) Um, Happened two weeks before I went out on this trip. um, I went to a show, a music show, actually. Mm -hmm. My husband's a musician. I went to his show. Uh, I just gave away the the punchline there. But um, he ended up being my husband. I went to his show and we kind of talked afterwards. And he was like, what are what are you up to? We had mutual friends. And I said, I have this crazy idea. I'm going on this bus and I'm going on Greyhound and I'm going across the world and I'm going to tell my story. I'm self-publishing. <laughs> and he thought I was mental. But also by the end of it, his band was just breaking up at the time. And by the end of it, excuse my language again, he said, fuck it, I'm in. Anyway, okay, I don't yes, know if I was asking you, but, you but okay. Really invited, but okay. New um, twist. Exactly. Hold on, I got to write a couple more pages on my book. <laughs> exactly. Fifty times. <laughs> <laughs> but so we ended up um, two weeks after that. He had a Toyota Scion, and we got a mattress pad for the back of the car. Wait, wait, wait. XA XB. Oh gosh, I was think it, it the was boxy an XB. one? It was a boxy okay. one. Toaster, we called it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I had, I used to have a Scion XA. I love the Scion. I it's had, which was a tiny little hatchback. Yes, they're and, the best. Yeah, I was like, if you spent two adults in a Scion XA, you guys are like <laughs> meant for each other. We're snuggled. An XB is still not that much bigger. A little more headroom. We I guess. had, yeah. But we ended wow. up. We um. So we set off to San Francisco. It was our first stop. We went into Canada. We went 18,000 miles across the country and put nice. these books all over. But we were sleeping in Walmart parking lots and pitching tents. And we were sleeping in rest stops. And our our big, like, expenditure, we'd, we'd get a hotel for a night, and, like, take a real shower, not oh, a yeah. truck stop and stuff. But it was, the, it was probably the best time of my life. This truck stop. Showers are not as bad as they sound. Um, some of them are gross. Some of them are, yeah. But then you come across a nice one and you're like, oh, that was luxury. The, that was the best five <laughs> bucks I ever spent. Exactly. <laughs> we would go to like the dollar store or something and I'd get face mask and and we'd stay in the hotel for the night and be like, oh my gosh, this, 
which is crazy because it wasn't yeah. like that wasn't how we lived. I mean, we lived well in LA, you know? right? But it was like when you're out on the road, those Every things were counts. luxuries. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I could spend, uh, you know, a hundred bucks on a hotel tonight, or I can go to two more cities, or I can eat for a week. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, learned a lot about budgeting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the, what every like band that does, mm-hmm. you know, sleeping on going on playing shows and, and just talking to people be like, hey, can we crash on your floor? Exactly. Or people will offer it up, especially in di- different music communities. People are like, hey, come stay the time. Place. We actually stayed at the owner of the Sparrow in um, Park Circle. Uh-huh. It was back, gosh, eight years ago now. Um, Ryan played a show there. So every city we went to, I'd drop, drop a book and my husband would play a show. That's so great. And he was touring with a, a bigger band at the time and he like played really big venues and mm-hmm. he kind of lost the reason why he was doing it, which is why he wanted to go on the trip. So he was playing these smaller venues, like very intimate, just acoustic yeah. guitar, not a full band. And um, But the owner of the Sparrow put us up. Yeah. And when we came through South Carolina and uh, he doesn't own it anymore and we can't find him, but you know, it meant so much. That's what it was. It was every part of this mm-hmm. from the book to being out on the road, to meeting people and just like being so open to connection. We made all these connections and it was, it was incredible. So 30 people out of the 50 found my books and they got back to me in some capacity, whether it be just reaching wow. out through a text message or calling me. We got to meet a couple of people when we were out on the road, um, like in person. It was wild. That's so great. Wild. Yeah. So has there, has has anyone like kind of taken the ball and run with it and like started to like take it to the next step? So the story is kind of long winded. I don't know if I was planning on talking about this. Well, but you, <laughs> you you give the Cliff's so Notes version if you want, or you could tell a long version. We got there's a couple of things that happened. I had um, after the first round, we went out, uh, we went back to LA, had to build up our our funds a little bit more, so mm-hmm. it worked for a month and a half. And then saved all our money. I took really big meetings on the idea because I, I had an agent at the time and they kind of pitched it. Um, but I I pitched the idea to Bad Robot, <laughs> which is yeah. crazy. So I showed up at the time. I didn't have a car, which was why I was going by bus, by the way. I missed that part. But um, I drove a scooter and I had a meeting with Brian Burke of Bad Robot, who was like second in charge. <laughs> um and I showed up to the set of Star Trek II with my little book, like my handwritten book under my mm-hmm. arm in my backpack and like on my scooter. And I'm on the set of Star Trek. Like it was so unreal, the whole experience yeah, yeah, yeah. of it. But um, I pitched to him and then we pitched to CAA. We pitched to a couple other people, just the concept. And the biggest problem I was having was everybody was like, well, what's the purpose? Like, what do you want to get out of this? And my whole, my answer was always, I don't want a purpose. I want to see where this leads. I want to see like, it's, it's almost like a social experiment. I want right. to see what happens from this. Um, and then, you know, a couple of people wanted me to change and edit the journal to make it more, you know, give a, give a, a specific storyline. Yes. Or, yes. Know. And that it, for me, the gorilla style of the project was what made it special mm-hmm. and what made people respond. Um, so I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this my way. I don't need it to be the, this big thing. I was never yeah. doing it to make money off of it or whatever. I just genuinely thought it was a cool concept. I, I'll tell you the first time somebody found my book, we were in Portland and they texted me and said, is this real? And I was literally jumping up and down like a child. I was like, somebody found it at the first park. Within five text messages with a complete stranger, um, this person, I, I left my house when I was 16. So I was kind of on my own uh-huh. very early. And, uh, he was he was gay and his parents kicked him out when he was 16. And he just related so much to that part of like being when I wrote about being on my own at 16. And he related that so much 
that just opened up with a five five or six text messages, this complete strangers, like telling me his life story after he just read mine. And like, it, it just, it, it was so, so special. So, wow. um, so then I did a couple things with it. I, uh, again, when I say I go all in on things, I'm all in, yeah. but I also never have had the, the funding <laughs> behind me. So I decided that I was going to make these books. They're called If Found, Please Read. And I was going to have them so that I could put them out and people would do the same thing I did. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the streets are going to become this giant library of, of public stories for everyone, right? That, that was my grandiose idea. Well, I couldn't afford to have the books made, so I learned how to bind books, which is a very fascinating thing. Like, yeah. you actually sew in the pages and glue. And, like, I had a whole little workshop I set up. You went total DIY. I, I'm telling you. Like, I, when I go in, I'm in. And then I would go around to, like, local bookstores and be like, hey, would you put these on the shelves? <laughs> and so they would. They'd, I'd sell, like, 10 at a time or whatever it was. Wow. Start a little Etsy store. Um, and then there was a couple girls in, um, I can't, it starts with an S. I can't remember the city. They were, like, two you know, 16 year old girls that have found the book and they mailed me their book of their life story. And they were like, so we mailed one to you and we have one that we are putting out into the world and whatever. So that was the idea. The whole idea was to make it be this snowball thing. Um, And then we had gotten back to LA. We went to so many cities across the country and we fell in love with everywhere we went. So we were like, let's move. Let's take a year. Let's go. I mean, also along the road, we fell in love, of course. And, and how do you not under those conditions? We were just very compatible. Um, That's uh, the best litmus test is traveling, traveling. in those conditions with people. Because mm-hmm. it's not for everybody. I agree. And and yeah, m- bands have broken up. Countless mm-hmm. bands have broken up from going on their first tour. It's true. Because there's always, there's going to be people who just crack. Yeah. Or you're going to learn more about somebody and you'll be like, (laughs) and you're with them. You can't get away. Like there's no getting away from this person. You're on the road for, you know, three months. And there's a skill to even people who you admire Mm. learning how to distance yourself while you're cramped in a space with them. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Our first date on the road was like official because we, we had said like nothing can happen. This is business. Like we're just going to go out and have fun and whatever, right? Um, <laughs> did either of you believe that? Honestly, I, I you, did. You I honestly truly, believed truly did. that. I did because you're I was like, I'm on a mission. Like I have wow. a, I can't get distracted right now. But our first date was sleigh riding and I think it was Montana in somebody's mm. backyard. Like we just used their hill and went sleigh riding and I was like, how? Come on. <laughs> like, how awesome. do you not fall in love under yeah. those um, those circumstances? But so we we ended up moving to Austin um, when we got back and we were like, let's take a year. Let's go somewhere. What a just, great city to oh, move man. to. I love Austin. I yeah. really, really do. Um, but did you go I, to Emo's? Did he play at Emo's? Yes. Yes, yes he did. <laughs> but he he's from Texas. So he had actually played that circuit, you know, yeah. a lot um, when, when in his earlier years. Um, but I ended up getting pregnant after about nine months <laughs> when we were in. It happens. When we were in, it happens. Um, and then everything just kind of shifted. It was like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to do Now you got to think like. And another mm-hmm. person depends on us and we cannot any longer sleep in Walmart. <laughs> well, that, that shift to living a, a, there's not a good term for it, but a selfish life mm-hmm. to a selfless life. A hundred percent. And it happens the second that child is born. You can prepare for it all you want, but the yeah. second that child is born, like a switch goes off mm-hmm. and you're like, you're no longer living for yourself. For me, it was it was just finding out I was pregnant. It was like immediate. Really? I mean, it was like, we have to start planning. Yeah. Like we, if, 
we're doing this. <laughs> we have to. Yeah. Your whole trajectory changes. Everything. And your priorities change. And your, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was a stay-at-home mom with Beckett for, I think, the first three years. Um, yeah. I didn't That's work. great. They yeah. were able to do that. I agree. I agree. Which, that was in Austin when you were staying home? Well, that was in Austin, and then we we went back to LA. We just had connections there, and it was easier yeah. for us to. Um, yeah, a, a, a society, a, a family, of exactly. external people to help raise the children. Exactly. Your, your village, exactly. my village. Um, and so Ryan actually got a job working in a restaurant as a general manager, which same musicians and and yeah, food and bev. It's true, hand in hand. Um, and it was he was working insane hours and he was also still kind of touring with um the band like every once in a while what was the name of his band you could say i mean if you don't want to say (laughs) no 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 his band was resident hero okay um but he toured with flyleaf a lot i don't know if you know them um but so he ended up working and i was just home all the time and and never seeing him and that didn't work so then we moved to san diego um he got a job in a music school there and there were so many things that that he was like they do this well, but if they did this, 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 you know, this could be really something amazing. And, and, um, that's so cool. And so he ended up working there for like two years, um, and really got to know the business model and the, the, you know, the numbers and everything about it. And then we got to a point where we were like, you know what, we got to do this on our Uh own. Um, and so my parents had retired in South Carolina by that point. And, my second baby was on the way. <laughs> and As things uh, so happen. Yeah. <laughs> and so we we said the only way we could do this, really do it, is if, you know, we have that village that you talked about mm-hmm. and my mom and she could help us and my dad. And so we um, packed up with a half-written business plan and, and moved across the country. We moved into into my parents' house, which they're very gracious for having us, but it was, it wow. was a little wild living with them. The, the other huge test of a relationship. Yes, yes. <laughs> how, how how was your husband with all of that? I, it must have been extremely like... Yeah, um, for me, it was a lot easier because of my family. You know? Yeah, but for him, for him he, you know, he's got to be on... Best behavior. Well, and that like, and he's 38 years old with two kids and, and a wife and moving in with in-laws. But I think yeah. we always, we always kind of kept our eye on the prize and it was never like, yeah. you know, embarrassing that this is what we're doing. We're like, this well, is the sacrifice we make. Of, yeah. It's not even a matter of embarrassment. It's just a matter of there's still that thing. Like you've got to impress your in-laws. Right. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying? You got to be on. You not only you have know? to impress them, we, we ended up, my dad kind of put his house up uh, against the business in the beginning. So we had to be successful. <laughs> well, so they, your parents, well, they must, they must know from the kind of person you are that if you're involved, yeah. anything less than a hundred percent was not going to happen. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to make it succeed one way or the other. Yeah. And, and I think that's why Ryan and I are such a good team because yeah. um, we both have that kind of drive and this is his passion. I mean, he's a musician, to the bones. I play the piano and I enjoy music thoroughly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's he's a talent unlike any I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so the combination of of us together working on this, I think, was right. You know, and he and he's taken. I mean, I've I've kind of taken a huge step back and focused on kind of where I landed in the restaurant, and he's just taken a music school. And, Do you guys ever play out together? Not really. We play. That's kind of. 
he's focused so much on the school. He still writes. And that's what we do in our free time. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, that's my favorite times are not when we go out and have a dinner or or do something. It's, it's me and him just hanging at the house and writing music together. And I, I play piano and I, I write a lot of stuff, but I can't sing a lick. And, and so he always writes my melodies. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's what I do in my fun free time. I can forget about everything else and just kind of I feel like I feel like a, a call over to Owendall Green is in is in oh gosh, you know yes, yes. you guys could we've had students play out there yeah um, you do a, a kind of a um, a school of rock type of thing yeah <laughs> Get we your, do our um, our we have uh, what are they called um, we don't call them it we we just have our kids come and jam mm-hmm. and we use poorhouse. So they'll do yeah. like a, a recital. Deck. That's the word. Yeah. Most music schools or stuff would do recitals. And instead we do actual performances like right. out and they play live and stuff. So, so fun. Yeah. It's cool. So much fun. To see that in kids, um, that kind of passion behind music is just, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Well, you're, you're, you're filling in the cracks that like a school system just can't can't fill. Yeah. The arts are so important. And, I, th- you know, you hear people say that. But to put it into practice mm-hmm. and to really enrich kids' lives with this yeah. and give them a place to belong. Because it's difficult. I don't know if you remember being in school, especially in like Long Island, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all the kids that were into football and they would talk about football and you'd be like, I don't care about yeah. that. Um, That's exactly, that was our mission. Know? When we opened the school, exactly what you're talking about right yeah, now. Yeah, just like, just those things that were were popular that kids would gravitate towards, and right. I would always try to understand it and try to like figure out, okay, is this something for me, and you know what what not. But the things that weren't as wildly popular as far as like the mainstream in in school, yeah, you know, you didn't have a big music pre- presence. Like they, they weren't even- necessarily available. It wasn't available. Yeah. What we what we do, and I think there's the stigma of piano lessons where you're like sitting and your back is straight and you're you know posture yeah, and everything. Yeah, it's classical stuff. And yeah. yes, and that's how they teach it, and that's not how we teach. We we wow. have 15 different teachers that all teach. Re- I mean, you have 15 teachers class. at the school. Yeah, we wow. have over 200 students right now. Oh my goodness, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when I looked at your um, when I first looked. At the studio, I kept misreading the name of the the studio slash school because I kept, for some reason, I want to see it as Whiskey Studios. Oh, God. (laughs) Because it's white key. Right. And just like my brain, I don't know, maybe (laughs) I have a problem. (laughs) But I kept saying, I was like, "That's, that's a very... Charleston, like, appropriate name, but I don't know if it's a for good kids? name for, for kids. Maybe yeah. <laughs> we didn't think that through. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, duh. <laughs> I'm just a moron. <laughs> well, but, also, our last name is White. So right, we, right. And the key know, would be... White keys of piano, you mm-hmm. know. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. 200 students. Yeah. Yeah. We have, like, eight band classes to see, you know, eight through... 13 year olds play together. And that's, that's the thing. Um, we have a, a music lab upstairs. So we took yeah. a, an old, um, commercially zoned house on mm-hmm. Ashley River road and we converted all the bedrooms into teaching rooms. We blew the carriage house into a recording studio. 
Um, and the whole upstairs is a music lab, we call it. So they can come in and take their lessons and then whoever's there can just jam. We have a whole PA, like a whole stage set up upstairs that they could just play together. Do you teach them recording stuff as well? Yeah. Because Because that to me, there's a whole other level of musician mm-hmm. when you get to music production. Especially with home recording. Now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can release music, quality music from home recordings. Right. And they could do it from their cell phones. That's the best part is like the, 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 I remember playing, you know, this is in the nineties when I did all this stuff and just like trying to figure out how to use a four track. Right. was a big deal. Like there was no online resources to figure out how to bounce tracks and do things like that. And so you had to figure it out or you had to have somebody that knew how to use it to teach you. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's everything's so people can just pop up YouTube and, and learn things. Right. But to have someone who who really understands, there's nothing beats somebody showing you and answering your question exactly. about that stuff. Because there's all these kids uh, that are putting out music that's unbelievable to me. And have you been on TikTok at all? Because it's crazy. I, I won't do it. <laughs> really? My, uh, my wife on. is ju- my wife has jumped onto it. I. And, and it's not anything other than I am so trying to get off of social, social media. Yeah, yeah, it's addictive. That get trying to <laughs> trying to keep up with everything. Yeah, like I, I was like I saw Snapchat. I was like, no. Yeah. And look, it just came and went because, yeah. and and Instagram or Facebook really mm-hmm. is what it, it comes down to. They just see what's coming up on the horizon and they right. gobble it up or just clone it. Right. Um. So yeah, Instagram like completely took away the fire of Snapchat. And yeah. now they're trying to do the same thing with TikTok. But I, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm not sure if they will be successful. TikTok's algorithm is just so fascinating. I yeah. went down that rabbit hole when it first came out. and I, I But I see what my wife does when she gets on it. She giggles. Yes. She has a great time. But she'll be sitting there looking at her phone for a long period of time. And I'm like, no, no, that's what I don't want right, right. now. <laughs> it's true. I'm telling you, if you found TikTok music, you'd be you'd yeah. be in trouble because <laughs> it's also the level of talent that these people are are putting out. So yeah. the algorithm will put in your For You page things that you like mm-hmm. and, and whatever. So I get a lot of musicians on my page and I just, I'm just wowed. Like these people are sitting in their hallway just like, why, aren't amazing you, why are you not on a stage somewhere performing for thousands and thousands of people? It's wild. I always get impressed by, uh, do you use Reddit at all? Mm-hmm. So you know how they have their broadcast, the Reddit broadcast things? Mm-hmm. And you'll see musicians get up there and there'll be like 10,000 people watching yeah. that stream and commenting. And it'll yeah. just be like a musician with a piano or a guitar or something like that playing, you know, yeah. to to the internet. Yeah. A random person. And that's changed to me, music. It really that has. That to me is amazing yeah. because it's, you're, you're just, uh, you're playing to a, an audience. You would never, as a musician, if you played to 50 people on a given night in right. any town, that was a great night because right. trying to attract people anywhere yeah. takes time and effort and getting them to come out of their house and, and mm-hmm. all of the things. There is nothing like a live show. Though. You can you no. can be in a room and playing to 10,000 people in, right. you know, virtually, but you're not uh-huh. even going to touch playing to 20 people live. I, exactly. Well, the, there's an energy thing that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's, and then that goes back to the restaurant, like you talked about before with takeout. You yeah. know, we never pushed that at the restaurant. It wasn't when we were we were pivoting or, or we had to think about our strategy. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't translate for our concepts. I think right. um, 
because so much of it is the experience and the atmosphere and the ambiance and, you know, the service and the connection, the stories of, you know, we're in a historic building. So the stories of the walls around you, you know, like yeah. all of that stuff. And it's the same thing, I think, with musicians, like it's special, but it doesn't translate. There's there's a feeling when you step into different facets of a, a place that has a history. Mm-hmm. So when you walk into a room, you feel the vibe right away. But, it, you know, as a musician, when you get up on the stage yeah. and you look out, you know, there's places where you kind of get the chills. Yeah, I remember being on tour in, uh, in Nashville and we went to this old um, recording studio that was preserved and they had a reverb room. Have you ever been in one of those? Mm-mm. It's like almost like a almost round room and wow. it's just natural reverb. You go in there and you're getting like this wow. ridiculous real natural reverb effect. And I remember our drummer walked in there and like all the pictures that were on the wall of the different musicians that had recorded in the studio and then he walked in and he just started crying. Yes. He was just like emotionally just overcome, overcome yep. in just being there and 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 knowing the history and and mm-hmm. feeling that that just magic and that soul of the of the place yeah that doesn't exist online no <laughs> you it can't doesn't. get it and the other thing that sucks online is um sometimes you don't really want to know what people are thinking cuz yes. they say awful things i can't imagine being especially women in music mm-hmm. because like the awful things that will just and it, who knows who's saying it and what their intentions right. are, but they'll just, it, it happens every time there's like a large gathering of people that can comment mm-hmm. and you'll see some comments and you're like, what are you doing? Right. Like, would you say that to somebody if they were standing in front of you? Right. Would you, would you really like say that to them? Would you scream that out <laughs> at a show? I know. I know. I think even, even just in general in social media, people mm-hmm. are even when you're not talking about a show in in that case, but yeah. just in general, people post things, and I'm like, would you would you have this conversation? Yeah, and the anonymous uh, way that people can just say, the, and and you wonder, are they saying that for shock value? Right. Do they really think that? Is that a that's thought the that- worrying thing, especially after the last year and the political climate mm. and everything else? People are saying things. I'm like, I never knew that about you, but now it, right. it's hard not to judge. It's hard not to form an opinion of that person. I think that that the the what has happened is part of the reason why, like personally, why I'm, I'm I rarely get onto Facebook. Yeah. You know, because uh, I just don't like. There's things I've learned about y'all yeah. <laughs> that I didn't want to know, yeah. and it changes my opinion, and then I, it makes me upset, and right. then and then yeah, it no mm. longer became a place of like pictures of of people's new babies and getting married or, you know, whatever. It became this place of like, I don't, I don't understand it either. Like, has anybody ever commented something on social media and changed somebody's opinion ever in the history of anything? Like, yeah. Have you ever gotten on and written like, oh, I support this and this and this. And somebody, you know, comments, you know what? You're totally right. You're totally right. And I now support it too. Right. No, you just, you're doing that for the you know, yeah, know. just to get other people on board with you that already they are there. Yeah, um, but there—I mean, there are things I've learned about mm-hmm. things um, that didn't. You know, there's certain uh, social things that we've learned, especially over, say, the Me Too movement type of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this whole the the, the 
uh, I hate the term, but cancel culture type of thing. Mm -hmm. But there's some valuable lessons that have been learned, uh, especially for men, especially Mm -hmm. for straight men, like little comments that we make that we are innocently making and how they're perceived by other people. And you're like, oh, I had no idea. And you you feel like, oh my gosh, I've done that That before. I've said that before. I have thought that like I was just being a nice person and meanwhile I'm being a creep. (laughs) And so I think that there is some value value in in all of this. And if you're a person that hasn't learned that from this, uh, that's kind of, scary to me because either either you're that good and you've never done those things which i there are those people mm-hmm. congratulations <laughs> uh, um, or you think that you don't believe that right that's the case right and that's scary yeah. because uh, i mean it, you know i'm i'm in my mid-40s and i'm still learning immense amounts of of things about people mm-hmm. you know and how we interact and and what it means like and you and working now in the restaurant business mm-hmm. must go through an emotional roller coaster every day dealing with the public, especially during these times. But someone can say something extremely genuinely nice to you mm-hmm. and it will make your day better. Yeah. And on the other side, they could say something rude to you. And you're like, what the hell, man? I what did I do? I just, yeah. just came to work today and I'm doing my job and I'm trying to serve people and, right. and help them and and enlighten their lives. And you just totally stepped on me. Why, you, you know, know what's funny is at this point in my career, I feel like the front of the house and the guest, mm-hmm. I'd been doing that for so long. Like I said, since I was 15 years old. So that weighs less on me. Um, I don't think people control my emotions as far as guests. You know, yes, I, I definitely feed off of when somebody comes in and they're they're just raving or we had somebody propose, we had a guest propose oh. at our restaurant last week. And that, like, you're totally right. I don't take the negatives as much, as hard as I would have maybe, you know, years yeah. ago. Now for me, it's um, it's managing the people that work for me and, you know, that kind of psychology behind that both intrigues me so much and I I love it. Um, But that's the part that I'm really getting my head wrapped around. Like, how do I keep someone motivated, keep them inspired, have them, you know, come into a positive environment every single day, but at the same time, be disciplined, hold them accountable, all that stuff. So learning that part of it is, I like the level I'm at now where, you know, the, the front of house kind of guest stuff is is the icing on the cake, mm-hmm. but that where but I'm learning, the managing of people where I'm learning and being challenged. And all right, and I've got, a, I've got a, um, a management question for you. There we go. All right. So <laughs> when you have somebody on your team mm-hmm. who starts treating the customers, they have an outlook to the cut. It's us versus them. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're going to battle. Like these people are, you know, everything is an affront to them. Mm-hmm. And maybe because of the not being able to handle the thing I just said about like somebody can just totally flip your day on it right. just with a comment. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you manage people like that? Because some people you come across and they're always just they're angry yeah. at the thing that's paying their right. paycheck. You know, I think for me and and definitely with this company, it's a. It's a culture that we yeah. set up from the beginning. So it starts at hiring mm-hmm. and at any sense of that, there are, there are a few things that are like directly fireable in our company or at yeah. least, you know, 
for me in the restaurant. That That's like, no question, you're fired, you're out, you're done. Um, and one of the things the owner has, you know, instilled in us is persistent negativity because it's, it's so... Um, toxic. Toxic, exactly. Yeah. And it, it affects everything and everyone around you. So if someone has that attitude, it's, it's nipped in the bud before, before it gets to problem level. Have you ever had a, a situation where there was someone like that, that you were able to turn around before just parting ways with them? Is, um, has there been a method of? Well, I think, yeah, I think that especially with the work we do, right. Yeah. As, as servers, as front of house, uh, I'm talking front of house now, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. um, as servers, the work that they do, it's, Impossible. It's impossible in any job to come in and just have a smile on your face yeah. every single second. You can't of every be on all the time. You can't. And with the hours that they put in and with the time that they, you know, spend, and, and especially our staff we have now, they care so much about it. Like this, this award that we got means something to every one of them. You yeah. know, I had a, I had a server who, um, he brought me in, it, it like made me tear up. He brought me in a copy of the restaurant, the marketplace restaurant that was in the 60s. It was a copy of a menu that he got mm -hmm. off eBay and brought in. Like, that's how much these people care about the history of the building, about the, the you know, the restaurant in general, about where we came from and what we do. Um, but so when they, when there's a weekend, like it's Valentine's weekend, it's going to be bananas the entire Tell weekend. Me about it. And it's, it's impossible <laughs> to not staff people because you can't have, you can't have a staff when your weeks go from you're doing this amount of revenue to you're doing this amount of right. revenue just for one week. It's like a Black Friday for right. florists and restaurants. <laughs> you have to, you have to staff, you know, they're just, they're doubles and they're, they're yeah. working really long hours. I think finding little ways to, to reach them and keep them motivated through it. Um, I did this really stupid thing in lineup one time. Not really stupid, but <laughs> it's kind of lame. Um, I brought in Twizzlers for everyone because I've read this article that if you smile for eight seconds, it releases a certain amount of serotonin in your brain uh -huh. and it makes you think that you're happy. So in lineup. <laughs> it makes you think that you're happy. Right. Yeah, like and it just kind of changes, <laughs> changes your. So in lineup, I brought in these Twizzlers and it made everyone sit there with the Twizzler in their mouth, making them smile for eight seconds to start the shift. And then I set up little Twizzler stations around the, around the restaurant at any point if they were like worn out or they had to whatever. I was like, take a Twizzler break, you yeah. know, and, and I think it's finding ways to motivate them in, in little things like that and not letting, if one person starts going, you know, I'm exhausted or, you know, this table's being completely unreasonable and whatever, um, it's stepping in and kind of managing the situation yeah, and managing their perspective on it. Cause I think, I think everyone, you choose the mood you're going to be in. You choose what you let bother you and what you don't. And I think a lot of times it's simply a matter of switching the perspective. So, yeah, it's, well, I, and the reason why I bring that up <laughs> is because so many creative people, for all of the reasons we talked about earlier of not feeling like you're being catered to at a young age, um, they tend to be introspective, kind of introverted type people. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the, the, that feeling of us versus them and that feeling like you are constantly not being heard or whatever it is, yeah. I would imagine is pretty prevalent. And now you're in a situation where you're working in food and beverage, where you're doing customer service and you've got to be, as you said, all of those things, you, you've got yeah. to smile, you've got to be happy, you've got, you've got to make this work for the people so they come back and you can get paid. Um, yeah. 
Well, big thing for us too is I want people to want to work for us. Yeah. That's another thing the owner has kind of instilled in our head. Like if you don't want to be here, nobody is forcing you to. I want you, I go in every day. My hours are long. It's challenging. I'm pushed beyond my abilities sometimes and I have to figure things out. There's a lot of tough things in the job that I do. There isn't a day that I go in that I don't enjoy what I'm doing. So you and show up and you're excited genuine. to get in the door. I mean, I might not be whistling while I work every single day, but but there is um there isn't a, a tone that I think you have to set. Mm-hmm. And if I set that tone, then the people around me will want to work that way. Will right. come in and be, you know, grateful for the job, especially with everything going on right now. I mean, so many people are out of work. So many people yeah. are working in restaurants that don't have any customers, so many people or whatever. So again, it goes back to like changing the perspective of, you know, you can choose to come in and be miserable and, and you know, whatever, or you can come in and be grateful for your job and enjoy your job. And if you don't like it, go get another one. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, food and beverage, much like when you, when we're talking about you going on the road trip, mm-hmm. I learned at an early age because my first jobs were food and beverage. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't do this. I I am not cut of this cloth. Like the amount of, um, I, I guess, you know, it, it was a different time as well. And it might've just been the restaurant I was working I was at. Say, it's easier it was to all, do when you're proud of the place you're working at. Yeah. Because it was an Italian restaurant with Italians, not like uh. New York Italian. No, like from Italy, spoke with an accent, the wow. owners, the management, most of the people working there. Yeah. And then the whole, you know, the back house was all um, Latin American people and mm-hmm. very little communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I am, this young kid, just like, just constantly being berated in different ways. And I was like, how do people do this? And I yeah. would see other waitresses like cry on a daily basis. And I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not oh, meant for this. That's sad. That was your experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, I'm never doing, I'm never working in that industry. Yeah. So I kind of cut that out mm-hmm. from my life yeah. at an early age. Cause I was like, this is, this is a nightmare. Yeah. And yeah, as I got older, I realized I was just at a really dark place. Right. Like, that place was nuts. Or they were, yeah. I think that's, that's what, I've gravitated so much and and gone so all in on this company because yeah. it's so much about company culture. Yeah. You know what's funny is I was uh, I had an ad out for um, a position for one of our restaurants mm-hmm. that is opening, and I was getting all these resumes. And to be completely honest, I was very intimidated. Their resumes were, I mean, they could run circles around me as far as what they had on paper. Um, and I did one of the interviews, and the guy was nice enough, and he was extremely intelligent, new, you know, specifics about everything, things that were kind of over my head, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, but at the same time, when, when the question of company culture or management style or whatever came up, it was an instant, like he spoke for one minute and gave me, gave me the answer that I was like, you could be so good on paper, but you don't fit what this company Mm -hmm. is about. You don't fit the, the culture that we have. And I think that's, it's unique in a company that's expanding this, this way because we're not corporate and we're not, sometimes it makes it hard that there's not handbooks for everything. And here, this is how you're a GM. This is how you generally manage the restaurant. These are the steps that you take and whatever. Sometimes it's hard because I have to figure out a lot of things or I have to depend on the owner probably more than he, (laughs) more than he, um, 
would like of a general manager, but he's he's so open to be a mentor and not teach it this cookie cutter, this is the way you do the job and whatever. That takes right. all this kind of soul and the heart out of it. And that's what that's what's different about this group for me and why I really didn't have any intention of getting into restaurant management and kind of did. Stuff yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a perfect lineup for the type of personality that you have, yeah. you, you know, that you've developed over the years as far as just, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So when it comes down to, uh, from a creative standpoint with you, with your music school and now with the, uh, food and beverage with, with Tempest, mm -hmm. where do you see this going? And do you have a long-term strategy here? Or are you just kind of like grateful for where you are now and enjoying the moment? I think um, one thing working for this company and opening the music school both have given me is I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. You know, I come up with three ideas a week and I'm like, oh my gosh, we should do this. <laughs> I'm going to create this app. And, um, you know, I've always kind of had that mm -hmm. like visionary thing. Um, working for them, I really see the potential of growth um, within either partnering with them, you know, expanding the company with them as yeah. on more of a partner level rather than in a, in a kind of management position. You know, my options are the opportunities that I'm being given are giving me so many options down the road. So, so cool. I have like a vague, vague plan of where I see this going. But I mean, mm -hmm. I did, I tell you what, I, I, three years ago, it was, I was serving, I was a server for them. And now I'm the GM of that restaurant. So my own restaurant, you know, like that's, that's crazy. <laughs> Your own restaurant that just got named best, best new in restaurant the in the yeah. country. Yeah. So, um, what happens tomorrow if you get a call from like, say someone at Netflix and they're like, we want to license your, your book mm -hmm. and we want to make your story into like a mini series. And we want to interject all of the people that have been touched by this and this whole <laughs> thing. And now you're po post with this, 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 because anything, any mm. kind of development type stuff that comes down the pike, you know, it's, it's a big dark, it could happen. It could not happen. You know, you, the, do you take that leap or are you like, you know what, I'll, I've got a good thing going and that's to um, like, have you ever thought about what would happen if something like that out of the blue, because so it could happen. I will tell you, um, my boss has been extremely supportive of mm -hmm. this idea and this concept. And he's even um, actually put an offer on a, on a space so I can open it and kind of I have this idea to extend the idea. Um, and so I've always kind of felt that this project wasn't done that there's something unfinished with it and it's yeah. not done. Um, not too long ago, I had a, a guest come in and at the, at the end of your meal at Tempest, you get a copy of the play Tempest and that's where your receipt is in the, it's in the book. And kind of organically, um, people have started leaving messages. So we have every check presenter on every different page is full of people telling about their experience there or telling a little bit of the story. And it connects me so much because of the writing and the, you know, that's kind of my book, my book project. Um, so I had a lady come in and she was talking about how cool this idea was and this concept. And she, she started telling me about this book that she was reading in her book club. And there are crazy similarities in this book. So after she tells me about this, I go and I get it. Um, it's called The Authenticity Project. 
Um, and it's very similar to a lot of the things. That, wow. Like crazy similar. Um, and so I got, I was like, someone stole my idea. I can't even believe this. I reached no. out to the author and she tweeted me and like pretended she didn't know who I was. And then I'm, I'm insane. So on my blog, I have Google Analytics and I'm like, I know that you looked at my blog. I know you ripped me off. Like it was this whole thing. And I went and met with a lawyer and I was like, at the end of the day, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with it? Why am I going to waste time on? She didn't tell the story as good as I could have. Right. She did a different version of it. It's not like straight copyright. Yeah. Um, and it's possible. It is possible that she had a similar idea. No, no, she definitely ripped no, it. She ripped, no, she no, like full ripped it. Oh no! <laughs> I know. Um, but also, I, I don't know. I, I like I said, I was very hot about it, and then I wasn't. And so I decided I want to write. I want to actually write a book and publish yeah. kind of my story and tell what I've done with it and then encourage people to do the same um, this time a little more edited and structured and Would whatever. you have called it the Authenticity Project? I think that is so ironic. Isn't it? Well, that's the pro- <laughs> uh, but that's why I brought that up. When you said the name and it's obviously that stolen. That was the dagger. I, like to me, anytime I see anything that um, promotes itself with something, a name like that, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Like you like, knew exactly po- what you were doing politically. <laughs> whenever there's a, a law or a bill that says something, I'm always like, "No, it's the exact opposite." Right, right. Like the what was the what was the nine eleven one where it was like the um, the Patriot Act or something oh, like that. Yes. And I was like, "No, that's no, not that's right. the Spying on Americans <laughs> yes. Act." What are you talking about? Why don't you call it what it really is? Right, it's true. Yeah, so. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, to call it the authenticity, and, and they stole it. You're, it to me, it's like yeah. right away. Yeah. Uh, no, that's very. I mean, it's just. It makes me sad for people that that function that way. You know, like the, the opportunist. All she had to thing, do, because yeah. I watched interviews of like where the idea came to her and all this stuff, and all she had to do was say, "I, I read this blog and I was really inspired." By the story and I wrote about it. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, but just right. give credit where credit's Well, because you you encouraged people to write their own right. version of it. Right, right. So she could have just easily have said that without, right. and then she could have been authentic, but then she right. probably wouldn't have called it the Authenticity Project. She would have just called it like, here's right. my story. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And exactly. it would have been authentic. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so I do, I do still have ideas for that idea if something came up i would i would well i brought that uh you know it's what we discussed today but if something like that presented itself and threw a total stick in your spokes because things are going so well right and you're like do i take that opportunity are are you gonna take the red pill are you gonna take the blue pill honest i feel like i could probably do both because i have learned so much through this job and i have such leadership above me in Pat and Jamie and Alejandro that if I were presented with an opportunity, I think my, honestly, my best move would be to do it under their umbrella. Even if it's something that's not necessarily in their wheelhouse, they're Mm -hmm. so expert at at what they do (laughs) that, that it would behoove me to, to kind of stick with them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I know that was a that was a tough question. Honestly, <laughs> like, hey, if something better came along, would you leave? No, that's not but what see, I meant. What's it's, what's interesting is I wouldn't look at it as something better coming along right, for right, me, right. especially. And that's not how I meant the yeah, question. No, no, no. But my question is like, when things are going so well, that's when you get those unexpected, right? Like things, you know. 
Well, that was like the guest came in. And when that happened, it was like that that had been in the background of my mind for a while. And when she said that, it like reignited this fire of like, yeah. I actually, uh, about a month ago, I took a trip to, um, up to Asheville and I got a, I, I never am away from my kids or my husband or my job or any of those things like alone. So I got a cabin in the woods and I, I just stayed there and wrote for four days straight. And it was luxury. It All was right, like, hold on a second. Thing. Hold on a second. You went up to Asheville by yourself. Yeah. yeah. I have dreamt <laughs> of doing this same thing. And I, maybe it's, I, I don't know, because there's certain things in my life that I'm like, I need to get this straightened out. Mm-hmm. I need, I need time to disconnect mm-hmm. and figure it out. That was but my like, Christmas present for my husband. It was the best present I've ever received. In my oh life. my I goodness. I should give what you the Airbnb. I'll idea. give you the Airbnb information because it was a perfect Airbnb too. It yeah. had like this little, this little fire, outdoor fire pit and these, you know, it was kind of a log cabin. And Did all. it have cell phone reception? Yeah. Damn. I no, I need a place with no cell it wasn't, phone reception. It wasn't good cell phone reception, but I did. I told my boss I was kind of going, I, and the people I work with, I told them I was going to unplug. And, you know, I told my husband, um, like, call me for emergencies. Right. Like, I really want to just take this time. And I, right. My ultimate, like, dream for that would be a place where it would be impossible Completely to find Completely remote. Me. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be impossible to find me. And if something went wrong, I'd find out when I'm done. Yeah. And, you know, and that seems cold. I don't think it is at all. But the, but I I have the same view towards sleep. Mm-hmm. Like I have my phone off. You cannot reach me. If someone dies in the middle of the night, sorry. Yeah. And <laughs> that's that sounds extremely cold. But it's like, I mean, you get so little of your time. What am I going to do? Bring them back to life? Right. Do I need to know that information in the middle of the night? Right. Do I now? When you have kids, things change a little. So now you, they have to have the ability to break through. Right. Because, you know, you, especially my, my daughter, she's going to be 21 next week. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So so she could get herself into trouble where she needs someone to come pick her up type of thing. Right. You have to be So now you got to like change your expectations yeah. for that. Mm-hmm. But when, I, when it comes to like business and stuff like that, there's no emergency that I care about in the middle of the night. Yeah. I, you know, I'm like, mm. I, I just... Uh, if I can't wait till tomorrow, yeah, like uh, I'm not that I, I'm not willing to commit. Maybe that's a, maybe I need to change myself on that. But the, <laughs> maybe but, you definitely weren't meant for the food and beverage. No, industry. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because I'm like, I, I, I need that. I need. Yeah. I need. I crave moments of of uh, dis, being disconnected mm-hmm. because it's so hard now. It's I so think that's why I wanted that trip so bad. And that's why it meant yeah. so much is because I don't. That's why I stopped in my tracks when you said it. I was yeah. like, this, that's. Like, yeah. Mm. You know, it's it sad though. It's Asheville. They have such cool coffee shops and bookshops and stuff. And everywhere uh-huh. I went to talk about living in the Charleston bubble. Um, so many places I went to were closed and they just had signs on the door being like, we'll open in spring. And it was kind of. Yeah. discouraging because I did. I did also want to have a little bit of like just exploratory stuff because that's what I do. Um, but. I couldn't do that. And it was kind of a bummer to see, you know, a city like that, which is such a cool city. That's so great. It's such, such a cool city. Yeah. But it was it's one of those places I think I could live pretty, I could transition over there pretty easily. Yeah. Because you, you having lived New York, LA, Austin, um, and now in Charleston, there's something about Charleston. It's, it, 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 it sucks you, it sucks people in. Yeah. It really does. It really is just yeah. a wonderful place. And it's like the secret's starting to get out there. I know. And um, 
I don't know. I know. But, you know. It's just so charming. It's so charming and it's so, yeah. when you find the right side of the community, you know, I feel like there's this, this kind of more old school and, you know. The been here? Same thing. Well, <laughs> just the, like, I, I don't want to say anything, but. Um, right, right. Well, there's. There's a part of like the establishment, I guess. Yeah. That. Um, isn't the most welcoming. And it's just, it's always been this way and this is why it's B or whatever. But there's mm-hmm. also in Charleston, the most welcoming and the most going from working in restaurants yeah. to LA um, and New York and then coming here. And that's why I said maybe I mastered like the front, of, not master, but the front of house kind of service hospitality aspects because I did it where it was so much harder. And here it's so much easier when people come out to eat they're they're they want to be pleased. They're not like coming in. Some people do, but they're not coming in looking for things to suck or things to pick apart, you know? And I feel like yeah. sometimes in bigger cities, you might get a little more of that. Jaded type yeah. of mentality yeah. of like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's a critic. Yes. And here, I don't feel that way. And maybe it's because our our concept kind of supports a much more genuine experience. Yeah. So, well, it's always interesting to me when uh, a successful restaurant downtown tries to move up to, say, Somerville. Mm-hmm. And they have such a different, different. clientele. Yeah. Like, they're not excited about the atmosphere and spending a little yeah. extra for that. They're right. like, oh, different mentality. Yeah. It's a little bit more of that local kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 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 What's so cool, too, is I worked at Five Church for as AGM um, for a while. And mm-hmm. then I went to Tempest. And while it's the same group with the same kind of company values and, and you know, same approach, I guess, right. to it, there's still a different, um, it's a different concept. Yeah. But to well, see the same thing done from like a, this is what we stand for, this is who we are, and this is how we. So the core values. The core values, yes. Yeah. Um, are the same, but two different concepts and the different reception you get from each one of them. It's really cool to see both sides of it. Well, that's what I think. I think when I see it, a restaurant that that does well in one area and I'm like, and they try to open up because there's so much development up here because there's nowhere else to go downtown. Right. right. Uh, so there's all this development up here and they're trying to recreate. And I'm like, no, 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 no. But that's the right Market attitude to have the same, <laughs> maybe research. have the same core values. Yeah. And, and create a place catered to the community that's there exactly. now. Exactly. And that's the, what we're able to do right now with Nashville. So we're we're back up and running um Five Church Charlotte and then we have Charleston and Tempest here and then we'll open Nashville in, in probably the next couple months. Um and each city takes on its own identity. So right. it might be the same Five Church Charlotte and Five Church Charleston are the same you know for everything, but you get a completely different feeling when you walk in each one. Yeah. Um, they just redid with a, a whole new murals on the wall with a bunch of different local artists up in Charlotte. And so important. It is, it's amazing. And then down here, you have just the church and the ceiling, the entire yeah. book, The Art of War, written on the ceiling. I mean, it's it's a different feeling when you walk in the door of each one. Yeah. But still, there's this common thread, you know, which is cool. I like that. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. And I think- Well, for- so you're going to come in, right? Okay. Well, <laughs> hold on a second. What kind of um, plant-based options do they have at Tempest? It's never shown up. We so, will, we will, chef will curate you, whatever you want. That, and that's that's one of the, you know, it's funny. I, I grew up as the person who never wanted to alter a menu. Mm-hmm. Like I would go to a restaurant and I would just like, I would, I would ask 
Are the you waiter, vegan or vegetarian? Vegan. Vegan. And but I would ask the 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 you know the waiter or waitress like, hey, what what's the thing that you're known for? Like I was that guy. Right. I was like, give me the thing you're known for. That's what I want. I want right. to. I, I want to discover something new or whatever it is. Don't change it. And then when I did transition to a plant based diet. I had to become the person who's like, uh, can you make it without the cheese or blah, blah, blah? Is there butter in it? What you don't understand uh. is that's the part for chefs. I mean, they're, they're in there and they're, they refine the menu, right? And they've yeah. worked on it so much. And we have a, a, we use so much local and sustainable product that we mm-hmm. change our menu quite often, but sets will stay the same. But if a vegan comes in and they're like, hey, there's nothing really on the menu that that I can eat that, it's like their playground back there. You yeah. know, like you give them this inspiration to do something that's a little bit out of the norm of what they normally do, but also come up with something on the fly. And, right. you know, that's that's the part of creativity that keeps them from burning out and keeps them from, you and know, I, keeps them motivated. I truly have never had a problem with it. Yeah. But I also have this immense guilt. Oh. So when I go in there and I'm like, I, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go in this place when it's a, like, a, you know, a Friday night at 630 and ask them to like, you know, when they're like really just yeah. busting their butts just to get food out of the damn, you know, kitchen. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going like, can you make up something on the spot with whatever ingredients you have that is not reserved for the other meals that you have to make for other people? That's like our, That's our job. Yeah, like that's our it's, job is to have you come in and blow you away so much. That you take into account. I made them think this up on the spot yeah. and I, you know, did whatever and they came out and they still made something exceptional. And you'll remember that. You'll remember Every that. Every time experience. I go to a place that does that, it's yep. amazing. Yeah. And I want and, and it, it's 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 a wonderful thing. But there's a lot of times when choosing a a um, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to I didn't even want to bring this part up. But <laughs> it, there are times when I'm looking for a place, no. if they have a stock vegan or plant-based item yeah. on the menu, then we're going there. It's an automatic, yeah. Especially when I'm in a, a in an area that I'm not used to, like a new place, yeah. a new a new city or something like that, I will pull up Yelp and I'll, I'll look for vegan, vegan options. Yeah. And that's how we choose the restaurant because my wife's not. Uh-huh. My wife will eat whatever. Right. And so it's always on the compromise. And Ellen, I've I said many times, like, hey, let's just go someplace. And, I, and if they have, they, everyone's got a salad. Right. You know, I can figure out something. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's, I try to take the pressure off of the, but it always comes down to that. And, and I feel like this immense guilt. You will, you're going to come dine with us guilt free. Yeah. Chef Will is going to put you together something special. I'm excited. Also, just a, a little hint, just always put it in your reservation. Yeah. That, you oh, you so have that this little bit of a guilt, I, and you're like, oh, yeah. you know, just put in the reservation. And I'm an easy, I'm an easy plant based person. I've never uh, met a plant based person that's not. I'm not because I'm just like whatever you want to make. Yes. Don't don't. I I don't care. I as agree. Long as it's. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So that's awesome. Yeah. It was so fun being here. I'm I thought certain- I was a little intimidated because they said it might be an hour long. And I was like, what am I going to say for an hour? But this has been very oh, yeah. we, <laughs> conversational. We, we're well over an hour at this Are point. Are we genius? Yeah. No, but that's great. That, <laughs> it's become a thing for me to, to experience because I, I do a lot of portraiture mm-hmm. in my photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has become like a similar type of, of thing. Yeah. Of, a, of a really kind of like digging into somebody and figuring out what they're all about, yeah. and, and it's and, and doing this with somebody like you who I've never met before. 
and you you have no idea who I am. Right. And and so we get to have this little, but that hopefully will help other people who are in so many different facets. You know, anybody who who's in uh, in a creative industry most likely has food and beverage that as we've as we've um, discussed musicians who've toured mm-hmm. people who write journal yeah. like there's so many different things in there for somebody to, yeah. to pick out of what you've done with your life to this point and to think like you're still quite young <laughs> you know there's there's so many more chapters to be written it's true and it's gonna be an exciting ride yeah all right well thank you so much thank you so, so uh best way for people to find you tempestcharleston.com okay um you can email me madison at tempestcharleston.com i kind of love getting personal emails of people like hey can i get a reservation <laughs> um i love that so uh do that or call the restaurant anytime we have an amazing brunch um yeah our brunch is really good pancakes i for um but yeah people if you're coming to charleston and and safely coming to charleston hopefully Soon, hopefully by the time the summer comes along, people will feel a lot more comfortable yeah. with with um, kind of getting back to normal. Yeah. Uh, I think we all are wanting it more than anything right now is to be able to go see a band and go, go eat inside of a restaurant and mm-hmm. just hang out with friends and have a drink yeah. uh, and not feel guilty or not feel ang- anxiety. But um, yeah, you, you guys are, are, are doing it. Come stop by. Come stop by. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Before you get going, don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And also, you can check out more at jwnpod.com or follow me on Instagram at joelatex. That's at J-O-E-L, the number eight X. Have a great day. Peace.